Well, everybody, welcome to the Sunday Dhamma Chat. Today we're going to talk about doubt. At least I think we'll talk about doubt. I still have a little doubt about that. Uh, and the way that it was asked actually was more from the other side of, of trust. But let's look more uh, in depth at what doubt is. Because this is actually the position that we existentially find ourselves in as a way of attitude. And so the child starts out with, I need help. I can't do it without help. We start out kind of with that existential position. It's got a base of reality in it. I can't find that tit on my own. It's got to be plopped in my face. Okay, so we start from that very moment of we need help in order to survive. It's a survival issue, and people who don't deal with that uh, by being nurtured when they're infants wind up with really severe mental states, uh, one of which the diagnosis is, is um, uh, separation anxiety. Abandonment. They say they have an abandonment issue because they won't let anybody that's around them leave. <laughs> because they feel terrified when somebody moves away from them. They're completely dependent upon being around other people. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of the worst case of it, but we can also see that that probably happened very early in life, that kind of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, but that we all eventually get into that feeling of having been abandoned. And mommy stops nurturing and starts telling us what to do. We become mommy's little helper rather than mommy's tender infant. There's a kind of a changeover that happens, and I don't think anybody ever gets over that. Okay, so suddenly we're out in the world of, uh, I can't do it, which is just slightly different than I can't do it on my own, or I can't do it without help. But the other one, worse kind of is, is that it can't get done and help or not. And that this kind of state of mind of not being able to help oneself, not getting what oneself wants, lead people into despair. That's basically what despair is about, is feeling all boxed in with no way out. God above is not going to help, and I can't help myself. Or mommy's not going to help. Or the society's not going to help. Or the pill's not going to help. We all get into that state from time to time. <laughs> Uh, state of despair. Um, got uh, uh, <laughs> doggy society happening. Up. Two big dogs are blocking the door and they look in. But here comes the magic human to straighten it out. <laughs> Back to the point about doubt. 
and that is, is that we start off in this existential position of being a failure. And we're either a complete failure or we're a failure unless we get somebody to fix it for us. We need grace. We need mercy. We need salvation. We need something to help us out. We need a, uh, a card up the sleeve. We need a, a tricky way out, something that we could do and get away with it, to cheat, or to hide in a baggage car or something like this. This is the kind of mentality that we develop uh, of trying to get along when we think that we can't get along in society. So actually, that means then that this is of actual the practice that we have to move through is to move out of the state of doubt about who can I get to help me. That in fact, that's one of the first hurdles that everybody has that they call religious because they're looking for someone to help them out of the misery and suffering that they've gotten themselves into. And so we have to get out of that into the state of now I can't get any help. There's no one to help me. Can I do it myself? Am I capable of doing it? That's what really we're getting into with Anapanasati, is beginning to get the sense of success over and over and over again, because look how much doubt that we've been going through. It's kind of filled up our bucket. So we have to kind of grind this in of getting into the state of knowing, wait a minute, I can do this. I can grow up and be a human and be a full adult and get along in the world, not just getting by, but one of the winners here. This is part of the reason that the Buddha was known as um, a lion or a bull, okay? guys that knew what they were talking about and, and got their way from, uh, in a way, not just sheer force of knowledge, but sheer force of personality and uh, just there it is kind of thing. And when you associate with those, you become like them. But there's a fire that goes off. But when you recognize that they've got it, they can do it. So can you. That's the spark. Okay. And we have to keep practicing that first three things over and over and over again. And that is, is that we got to get the sati. We got to remember to do, keep practicing. Keep remembering to do this over and over and over again. Keep remembering to look at what you're doing. Look at whether or not you're creating a victimhood for yourself. Look at the kind of language that you use. Look at the words like long and tired and heavy and work. Try. Start looking at how we put words together when we're, when we're speaking and, and thinking to ourselves that already are loaded with victimhood. So we begin to change our language intentionally out of being the victim that is, is suffering because he can't get what he wants into being the lion who is quite satisfied with the way things are right now. 
and the situation can be exactly the same. The difference is our attitude, and that's what needs to be changed. And in fact, none of us are, uh, let us say, so messed up that we get locked up. We're all out there capable of living our lives in society. So the question would then be, well, why can't we go live that life as if we own the darn thing? Because you do. Not a victim. You're the champion here. One of the ways that we talk about it is, is that uh, everyone, each and every one of them, even the ones who were really messed up, every one of us is an emperor of our own personal pile of dirt. We all own our own dirt, and that's what we've got. And you're the emperor of that pile of dirt. The question is, are you going to be buried under your pile of dirt? Are you going to be scrambling your way out of that pile of dirt, or are you going to sit on top of your own world? It's a matter of an attitude. Now, the, the best and interesting part is, is that that dirt, what is that? That's the past. And so if you let the past define you, then you're giving away your own power. That the, really the power comes from the, be, the being able to be here now and wake up and see what's going on and know that you can do that. <clears throat> to, to trust that you can see what's going on right now and get a big load out of it. And that you can do that next time. You can do that again. Then you get the attitude of no matter what happens, I can take care of it happily. Doesn't matter. I, I can get arrested and joke with the cops. A little tighter, please. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you recognize that you can handle anything, then guess what? With partly the wisdom, we stay out of those circumstances because we know we can handle them anyway. There's actually a kind of a law, an, an, uh, kind of a secret law, because it's kind of hard to understand. But we manifest the things that we think about. So if you're afraid of something, you're going to bring it to you. Okay, so since I don't think about cops <laughs> handcuffing me, the likelihood of that happening is very low. Especially since I live in a country where cops don't carry handcuffs. <laughs> and so I, I would have to invent the handcuffs in order for that to happen, you see. And we, we can recognize that that's the case. Now, there's something really important I, that got hidden away in the verbiage that I was just giving. And that is that you come to a state that you know no matter how obstructed with hindrances your mind gets, you can throw that stuff out and come back to this present moment and see the truth and reality of the way things are right now. That's the first part of the paragraph. It's in the Majjhima Nikaya 48, the Sambians. The next part of the path, uh, uh, the statement or the paragraph is, that one who knows, that's the first step, that's the first knowledge into nobility. 
and it is super mundane. The knowledge that you can sit on top of your own pile of dirt anytime you think that you're capable of doing that. Okay? It is super mundane in that way, above the world, on top of the world. It is a factor of the past. And it is noble. It's noble-minded to know that you can handle anything. You can handle the bar fight if you know where the back door is. Okay, so you can handle anything. That's the attitude. And here's the important point about it is, is that it's not, this attitude is not held by ordinary people. The vast majority of people do not think at the bottom and depths of their heart they can handle everything. We always feel, going back to the bottom line, is that we're a victim. And things are hard. Got to work hard. Got to play hard. Hard work here. Really work. (laughs) And so, this is part of the society. If you actually know that you can handle anything quickly, easily, and enjoyably, then all of the work out of life. This is why it's referred to as um, the job that needed to be done has been done. What was the job that needed to be done is getting out of the obstructions. Okay. So are the hindrances, and this sutta is actually called obstructions. But this is just the first knowledge, but it is hardcore number one item that a student must learn through practice of Anapanasati, is get yourself to the state that you know that, wow, not only this is hot diggity dog good, but I can do this every time. That's partly what makes it so hot diggity dog, because you know you've got it now. You've got it. Handle it. That word is the Sama Sankapa, that first knowledge. Knowledge that you can fix your mind. That you can, this time, at least this time, I can walk across that gravel road barefoot. I will get to the other side. That's just an example. And they're done that one. <laughs> and pretty soon after the Bendabai, uh, uh, I begin to like going barefoot. That's one of the reasons I don't want to go to town. I go to town about mm, now, down about once every three months. I do at least put on some slippers and a shirt because <laughs> I got to. Can't get out of the house without it. But that's the only time that I wear it. So I can go about three months and wear the, the shoes for about three hours, about an hour a month. But it, it was a training for a while. Now, it's just, that's the way the feet work. <laughs> All right. So if we can see that it's that way, it's that, that's the attitude of, oh, I could do anything. I could go to town if I wanted to barefoot. I just happened to, at this case, we'll wear the shoes because that's what's expected. 
I, I find it really funny to put on the shoes, walk across the street, and then take the shoes off when we go into the bank. <laughs> and then come out of the bank where we spend all of our time, put the shoes on to, just to walk across the street to get in the car and then take the shoes back off. <laughs> and so um, the point of that is the that it's a joke, that it can be played with, that I've got this wired, that there's no issue here other than the issue that this is just an old toy or a new toy to play with. That's that attitude. I can handle it. Do it. That's the silence on top of the other word in Bali is the word shraddha. And the word shraddha actually has been so royally and grossly mistranslated that I think that it was translated badly for a very long time. Even Thai monks tend to not understand it. But the wrong translation is faith. Now, what faith is, is faith is taking something that we didn't have good evidence for and take it in as, uh, uh, let us say, an unfounded belief. We've been doing that our whole lives. We've been doing taking a lot of stuff on faith. Most of the stuff that we learned from our parents, we just took it on on faith. We didn't know that we and so now we don't take it on faith we investigate instead so this concept of the shraddha is not a faith it's actual confidence but that confidence still has to be weighed with or balanced with several other things including you keep investigating. Once you get that whole system going, that you got to have the sati that's balanced with the investigation, that's balanced with the uh, very little right effort that's needed anymore because we've got this very heavy, weighty samasankapa sitting there for us. Okay, and so that stuff, when we add confidence to it, that balances and rounds things out. So that we can have a very joyous, happy life every time we remember that, hey, we could do that right now if we just remember to. <laughs> and one of the back back to that statement of this is the first knowledge that is noble. What that actually means is, is the Buddha here is defining the first step of Sotapan. This is the first knowledge step the path, the noble path. So I thought that I would fill that little detail in there for you because that's actually quite profound. That if you want, if you're going into becoming a soda pond, the first thing that you got to get is a pocket full of confidence, and that can be handed over to you by your teacher a handful at a time. <laughs> And in fact, uh, one of the ways that that happens is is that they put the younger monks on the spot. They do that actually as a formality in the um, uh, Mahayana, the Vajrayana traditions of Tibet. 
is they have set arguments that they go through, but not like that. And uh, you got to kind of know what you're doing there. And so that kind of builds confidence. There's other things like uh, uh, putting on a robe and drying it out. And if you're into bed in the wintertime, that can be quite a trip. But we do it in Thailand all the time. But <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to do? Hide in the woods until they dry? <laughs> Why do that? Put them on wet. Um, so this is the hot, uh, another one that happened was is that uh, I was asked to, to assist Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa in a talk. And he got just a little part of it started in Pali or in Thai. Uh, Thai, let us say his Thailish, and uh, asked me to take it from there. And so it was about the Four Noble Truths. So I introduced the Four Noble Truths and said just that and the other about it. And then go back to him. And he says, no, you take it from here. He put me on the spot. I wasn't even a monk yet. He had me teaching right in front of him. <laughs> now, you're either going to grow some balls <laughs> right then and there or what? <laughs> do you have the idea? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I know that I can do that. He thinks I can do it. I'm not going to fall on my face. Look, at, he's, he's not my judge. He's my teacher. He's my master. He's putting me up to it. And that happens actually in universities. It happens uh, um, in business. It happens in, in many places, but that's the, the, the kind of mentoring and then the leg up that we wouldn't do for ourselves. In fact, when guys just say, oh, well, I'm good enough to go be a meditation teacher. Let me go charge $500 an hour for it. Then uh, that, that's not an easy way to get that kind of confidence because <laughs> he doesn't have much backup. So that's part of the quality that I'm talking about is, is that I feel fairly comfortable that Achan Ko would say yes to and agree to anything that I would say because I've done it before. And that makes me feel really good that I've got that backup, even though it's mental in my mind. It's that solid foundation. I've got it. Got it backed up to Achanko and to Dasa, right back into the uh, uh, hierarchy in Thailand, all the way back to the Buddha. This tradition has been alive. Part of it is a little bit of baptism in fire. And 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 guys who sit on the floor in their house for how many hours a day don't put themselves through trying to test, and if they do, they're crazy. <laughs> uh, actually, if we could take a side note on that, just to make the point, have you ever heard of ayahuasca and peyote ceremonies? Okay. Why is it done in ceremony is because you want to make sure that the guide is there so that if somebody really freaks out, the guide will know what to do and how to talk to them and whatever like that. And so the people who go into the ceremony to do this stuff 
then already have that confidence built in. That's why they're there. So they're unlikely anyway to go off and be nuts about it. So that's another example of, of what we're talking about. And this is part of what, what there is of, of Sangha. And I'm really pleased to say that right now, Eric, uh, his stage of the path is, is he's up in Royette right now, uh, occasionally sending uh, photos back of uh, uh, the various, uh, let us say, smiles that we see as he's doing his various things. Uh, and in fact, there's quite a lot of cleaning that he's doing with a, um, uh, a high-pressure water hose. I saw there were several photos of him that. And I recognize every table. They haven't even moved the table since Vicky Budadasa died. That's not done at his, uh, his new wife. He's put in a whole lot of <laughs> once and one in there, too. Uh, but I thought that I would mention that, that, um, that it's, it's not close to Westerners. It's that it, they have to kind of meet halfway. And often Westerners are not willing to go through what it takes. I think, that, in fact, living in India for about three years, off and on, basically from 1975 until um, that I kind of learned enough about how to get a, get along at Wat Soimok when I arrived there anyway, and in a lot of Thai temples and, and whatnot, and so. It's kind of like you have to become Asian in a way to get into an Asian lot really well. I think that that was part of what Eric was doing because he spent oh, oh, six months at one time. This was the problem with COVID, and he couldn't get into one of the walks because it was closed, and the people who closed it were the building the big people. This would have been fine if he came in, but the big people said no. No the ties, by the way, are still really strict about uh, And so, um, gosh, I lost my train of thought. With Eric, he's actually fitting in now really, really well, and I'm really glad to see that. I can see it because of uh, that one one example is there's a photo actually leading walking meditation is done at Watson Mok every uh, week. With probably people trailing along behind Eric. That's kind of a sign that he's being, you know, put to work, assigned those duties, not just spray washing furniture. Concrete furniture, by the way, but he's actually being given some Dhamma duties. And so that's, that fits in with what we're talking about. Uh, but in fact, one of the things he said that it was like uh, I with Achan Po. Achan Po in 1980 didn't know very much English at all, but he sure knew the Dhamma. That's what Eric says with this guy that he's with. He doesn't know English much, but he sure knows the Dhamma. And he's the abbot of the Wat at, uh, at Royette. 
and they met, by the way, down here at uh, uh, Post. He's now currently, actually, he's back and forth. Sean Moe. So, Achan Poe is now 83, no, 93, <laughs> and he is still the abbot of Watson Moe, though most of the actual abbot duties are done. You know. uh, so, it, it really feels comfortable to have that lineage, to know that you're part of that group. And also, uh, from my mother's perspective, the highest quality of human beings on the planet Earth. That we live up to the standards that any religion tries and fails to live up to. Because we can help each other do it, rather than fuss at each other when we fail. That's an actual quality. That's a really key quality that we're open and confess our own problems. And when we get uh, into trouble, get a whole raft of it back. In the sense of it, one, on one occasion, I criticized one of my fellow American monks at Wat Suen He didn't know how to meditate. Well, he just arrived at the Wat from a um, uh, uh, employed as a um, Peace Corps volunteer at a refugee camp that was breaking up at the time. And so he heard about Bikki Bikki way up there, and he came down here. So it was really unfair for me, who had been practicing meditation in, what, 10 years. That's really, really interesting. Like a two-year-old dog just tears into a brand-new baby puppy for no reason at all. <laughs> and that's how I feel about it now. But then it's a, it felt good to... I'm better than he is because I can meditate and he can't. Ha ha. <laughs> well, it didn't take very many hours to where a whole delegation of monks, some of whom I knew and some of which I didn't, there was probably nine and 15, I didn't count. They filled the place. Only to make sure to tell me that just don't criticize one another. That was the first opportunity, and I've seen that at play very strongly ever since. So I learned that lesson well, and I learned it a second time by mistake. But I knew it immediately that I'd made a mistake, and I ruined my relationship with that monk because he was smoking. At that time, I had thought that, well, like everybody else, smoking is bad. Now I know, because I know the Benia very well, that smoking was allowed by the Buddha. He even allowed a pipe. I don't even know what they were smoking because they didn't have tobacco, but that's one of the secrets of the Benia. Okay. <clears throat> and that was wrong of me to mention that he was smoking because it wasn't even against the rules that I had in my mind. So... If we can learn it like that from a group of friends who really want to help us to shut our flap, <laughs> then we learn well to not criticize others. And that's a really, really big foundation of the Sangha. Now, uh, the extreme example of that would be 
that if a monk misbehaves and no one but he or the Sangha know about it, then they will keep quiet and not tell anyone. But if the community knows and they have a whole lot to say about it, then he is their business now. Okay, that the monks don't fight back or pay off debts or loans that monks or anything like that. But if it's something in the Sangha, like this one of criticizing another monk, that's kept within the Sangha. And the reason for that is if the, the young boy's family finds out that he's made a mistake, they'll haul him out just to save face and he won't out by his family, they have permission to do that. In fact, we actually, it's the other way around, we have to actually have permission from my mother to join unless she's dead. Patriarchal society, I think that's a Thai tradition, it's not in India, but it's really strongly a Thai tradition. You don't ordain without your mother's permission, but it's exactly the other way around because it's the mothers who are going to be dragging you and get into the wad anyway. <laughs> so, um, this idea on the other side is, is that you don't also want to let the crowd know who has attained anything, that it's not their business. And what happens with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa and other monks that become famous is, is that the monks then have to protect him from the lay people who want something from him with a magical mind. One of the examples of that is, is that on Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's birthday at Watsuanoka, they still hold the tradition that they do not serve any food and the monks do not go out to Pendabad on his birthday. Why? Because everybody in town wants to be there lathering him with food in order to make a merit on his birthday. So we put a stop to it. I have not only him fasting, but the whole lot fasted. If you don't want to fast, go home with these lead people that I want all this food they want to use. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, the lay people kind of figure it out anyway. Partly because they know what they're looking for. So monks who become known for being able to keep the Dhamma and the uh, Vinaya together are uh, actually, a lot of them are quite famous in Thailand. Various people, various watts will have photos of several famous monks in their homes because they want something from a picture. <laughs> <laughs> and if all they want is an inspiration and a memory, a point of sati, then that's a good thing to do. But there's a lot of magical thinking, and because of that, a lot of what happens in the Sangha is quasi-secret. It's, it's intentionally secret, but it becomes quasi-secret because it's also a revolving door in the sense that men can ordain and then disrobe and then ordain again and disrobe and ordain again and disrobe. And that generally has to do with a young man's mother. She wants him to work in the fields now. He's out of the robes and in the fields. She doesn't need him anymore. She can get rid of him and put him back in the watch. So this becomes quite convenient 
and the tradition is up to seven times. Because that actually happened in the time of the Buddha. I was in and out of seven times. So that's that's the tradition. I think in some places they do it a little tighter. I've heard some places in Thailand these are not. But the other side of that is is that if a guy's been in and out for that, the fourth or fifth time that he joins, he's already a valuable asset to the Sangha right then and there on his ordination day. He probably already is completely memorized the ordination ceremony. He didn't have to get it hand fed to him like the beginner. I think that we've been dancing around that that issue of what you were talking about in the first place, and that is is that we've got to find a way of trusting that everything's going to work out just fine. And all I have to do to bring that about is watch what's going on, take note of it, and stay out of the way of the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Stay out of it. And the first place to learn how to stay out of it is by staying out of the fights that we have between our ears. Just to come out of it and just come back to the state of peace. Practice that over over and over and over again. I can do this. I can do this. Ah, this was good breath. Over and over again, we come back. And slowly, slowly, like a drop in a bucket, it begins to fill up that um, confidence. I can do this. I am one of the words I see myself in a way as worthy. I can do this. I belong to this group of people who are very high class people. <laughs> I belong to this group. I'm, I'm, I'm in. That's kind of a confidence that I can't quite describe to you. being one of the old boys, being one of the insiders, being accepted and acceptable. Know that you are, that you earned it. What did you earn? Actually, you just earned what you needed to earn by stopping what needed to be stopped. So when there's nothing much left, there's no place to go and nothing to do, and you just hang out with your buddies. That's all there is to it. <laughs> so we just kind of stop doing. That's what. <coughs> that's what's the quality of evil anyway. Evil is a deed. Evil deeds. Comma, you know, unwholesome or uh, a dark comma, which is action. If you don't take any actions, <laughs> you're not doing anything wrong. Can you just sit around happily? Can you? <laughs> How about you, lady? Can you just sit around happily? Is it easier to do when you're sitting around with others who are sitting around happily? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Of course. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. 
Let's yeah. see the answer to every every other question on the mundane side with other people in the Sangha. They're having other imaginations of how things should be. If you're sitting there just dwelling in goodness and they just can't stand it. <clears throat> yeah, that, that confidence, boy, that's a nice, nice feeling. You're above it all. And it doesn't matter anymore. Nothing. There is a phrase. It's all mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. It's all mind over matter. Your mind is in control. The mind is the forerunner. And if you don't care, then you're not creating anything, especially creating problems. So it really is that little phrase, mind over matter. We're the ones who are making it matter. Because we care, grasp, we cling, we want, like it. You see that process going on in that's, by the way, the teaching of the teacher Sandal Pot. I just gave it in reverse. See, first off, I care a whole lot about stuff. And if we could stop caring, then my wanting of it would be very low, and I'd wind up being satisfied without it. The fact, the problem was, is that it's not that I liked it and I wanted it. <laughs> I cared too much. <laughs> and when I stop caring at all, then I'm just satisfied without it, whatever it was. Fame, fame, money, glory, a new laptop, <laughs> a new girlfriend, getting rid of an old, whatever it is that we want, probably not going to get it anyway. And I just be satisfied with the way things are. Because look, all my buddies are satisfied. They've got no problems with their dreaming up and what it's called. Why should I? Thank you for repeating it. Pardon? That thank you for repeating it. Well, it has to be repeated because it's so far in the first time we hear it, you don't <laughs> quite understand it. But when I start giving it to you over and over and over again, it begins to think that, wow, I really was stupid at the age of three. When they put me to work, I thought that was the right thing to do at the time. And I've been thinking that stupid thought ever since. And now I can recognize, no, I don't. I can sit down and enjoy a moment or two or three. A year. But they don't have to have this rustlessness of I got to get up and go do something. Where comes the lion's roar in with this? Say again. Where comes the lion's roar in with this topic? The lion's roar comes in when we keep recognizing that we can do it. We can throw this thought out of the mind. We can clean up our act right now. I can get out of it. 
I don't have to get stuck into it over and over and over again. That's what most people are worried about. In fact, I hear it still on Skype of, oh, poor me, I keep having these thoughts. How do I get rid of these thoughts? And that's the way to do it is to stop having the thought, how do I get rid of these thoughts? And say, hi, thought. <laughs> I see you before. Here, sit down beside me and let's do nothing for a little while. <laughs> But no, we're constantly in a conflict within our own minds. The answer to that is come out of the conflict and sit down and enjoy it often enough that you can begin to recognize that you can sit down and enjoy it anytime you wanted to. In the beginning, it was a training. A way to think about it is music. Okay? Music is, is that you have to train have to practice that violin you have to practice that piano over and over and over again and the kids who wind up being really good at the piano is the one who enjoys his practice but the kid who is practicing only because mommy told him to practice is probably going to be quitting piano lessons within a couple of years and too soon or uh, too soon for mom and not soon enough for him okay but if he's enjoying the piano then he might become a real pianist. So once he becomes a pianist, part of the pianist process is to do recitals, getting thrown in the fire once or twice a year, having to perform in public. Eric, we'll see you later. Okay, so just as so then, when we first start performing in public, it is a performance. But if you've performed now over and over and over again, let us even say the same simple song, you know it so well that now it's really playful. You can play all over with it. Okay, so this issue of practice, performance, and play, that you could see that one of the reasons why so many professional musicians are in fact so loved is because they're not performing music anymore. They're playing it. They're having a ball with it. They're dancing and jumping all over the stage with delight with their music. Okay? And you can learn to do that with your life. You have to learn to play with it. It's a toy to play with. We have to learn how to play with it. That's first the practice. We have to keep practicing and and then after we're skilled, we know that we're capable of performing public. We can do it. We got that thing. Okay. And then after that stage comes, the playful part is when it's so in there, so rehearsed and so practiced that your natural state of being is going to be joyful. Yeah, go ahead. Can I ask a specific question? Certainly. So, <clears throat> because I see that the happiness of being around other practitioners is something that is <clears throat> something by itself and it's it's uh, beneficiary for the overall practice. I go to a place where people are that are practicing more of the Ayana, I guess, Tibetan way. And it's it's drenched in magical thinking and in so much clinging and so much unsatisfactoriness because of it. 
that it starts to influence certain parts of movement that are coming up for me. All of those people go are there for the same reason that you are. The question is, are there other people there that they come to see? Who are the nobles? Who's the abbot of this place? Don't judge a place by the commoners that you see so that are so commonly. It's like, don't look at the 99 cheap that are dirty. Go find where's the clean one. There's got to be a clean one there someplace. Otherwise, the dirty ones wouldn't be there walking around. We'll see. Just, just a bunch of dirty sheep, huh? <laughs> That's common too. <laughs> they're all thinking that there's a clean one there, and they're not. But I mean, that's so just over my practice <laughs> in certain moments. Well, it may be worthwhile to go back and take a second look now that you know more about what you're looking for. Look for the one who keeps laughing. That will be me. One who says we're here to learn to be happy. I keep looking. <laughs> yeah, okay. More than likely, he's dressed the part. In robe. And generally, the abbot of a wad has been an, uh, a monk for 20 years, which means that that's enough time for. Dhamma to rub off practiced or not rubs off after so many is there is there any is there a tip or some kind of let's say little no Tibetan you probably know more about but, the place than I do if it were Thai I'd give you a bunch of tips <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not it's not so much maybe yeah uh, it's human it's not about culture. It's it's about human nature. Um, every society's crazy, and every other society knows it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the finger is always pointing. Every religion is crazy, and all the religions but that one know it. Mm. And that's just an interesting, happy way to see reality as it is. Hey, I can handle the fact that everybody's crazy out there. The only people who are sane are the ones who don't know that they're crazy. <laughs> Me too, I'm crazy. At least I know it and happy about it. <laughs> Been there, done that. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy being crazy. And, and <laughs> my wife is there laughing. <laughs> in fact, oh. here at the house we have a game. In in Thai language, the word is ba. Okay, and ba uh, ba or ba means drunk. Ba is uh, easily translated as crazy. And and so when Kitty is acting up and having fun, they Kitty. 
crazy and everything is just all over the place and so this is this is a really crazy household and we love it <laughs> so that's the whole idea it's not that we could hide from the craziness and say oh everything is okay there's no problem here while we're lying to ourselves and we know it the answer is is to be joyfully aware you're doing knowing that that's your choice yeah want to do something different you can do it because you have that choice and that's power that's real real power much different than the power that people have like <laughs> throwing laser buds at each other or what they do in the But that's kind of a child's mentality of power is is active strength or kinetic energy. What I'm putting out is is that no the real power is in potential energy, the quiet energy. That that energy is the energy of knowing. You could get noisy if you want to when you choose not. here you can roll just ignore <laughs> in the way of I don't care it's not ignoring the sense of I can't see it it's I can see it clearly choose not to do anything about it I don't care and to do that first in our own minds that's where it really needs to be done we need to practice it in our own mind practice in at it then you can practice it with the form so in fact that's the whole about the teaching of the book is it's all about friendship see what's clearly there accept it as it is and refine it and change it now the refining part purification process but you yeah. got to start with what what's there delicate being being very very clear and delicate with it in the way it needs to be dealt with as if it were dealing with a tender infant didn't grow up first time right got to give it a second chance starting with tender heart it's got to kill for you so much much violence going on that's the really taking get ourselves in the state then we can do that with others and we can nurture others each other to smile and giggle <laughs> <laughs> well one out of three wasn't bad two smiles and one giggle <laughs> yeah that was the one that was uh, uh, Referring to my to my first uh, comment about the lion's roar in in combination with uh, all the mundane social cultural interaction thing mixed in with some kind of pseudo dharma, not not only not only accepting the the pseudo dharma but seeing what cl clearly goes on for those people and in the situation and inside of me and 
making it smooth and tender and not impulsive. Making their lives easy by not disagreeing with them. <laughs> that would be that would be uh, worthy of getting shot. I'm not even in the in the. I'm not even near this, and it's it's. It's oh, I hear that victimhood. Did you guys hear him being a victim all of a sudden? <laughs> uh, no, I, don't, I didn't mean it that way. It was well, just... You said it that way. <laughs> I'm nowhere near, and I know where that's going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought I'd pick you up and dust you off and say, hey, man, you can. <laughs> Remember, yeah. you can do yeah. this. <laughs> You're of worthy. Course. You're on top of your own world. Of course. You're not far enough away from anything. The door to paradise is right in bloody front of you. All you have to do is to know the key. The key is sati to remember to turn the crank and push. Yeah. Take a look at what's going on. Turn that crank and push that door open. That's the um, right effort. And right into paradise you go. Yep. Oh, it's close by. Like you look like you're right in it right now. <laughs> uh, uh, I always think about Angulimala in this situation. It's like I already when stopped. When the Buddha says, "I have stopped," you stop yeah. too, <laughs> right? <laughs> stop thinking I can't. Exactly. So let's not do the Angulimala story. We'll do that in the next <laughs> time. Uh, do you have anything to say? You've been over there smiling happily. Not much to say. Much. I'm enjoying the conversation. Uh, Tina, what about you? I think it was I think it was beautiful. I think it was beautiful the way it worked out and uh, um, you being around lions who are noble, able to nurture you by a lion. How beautiful is that as an example? That's really well and said. Then, I really like it. And then becoming becoming the lion lion yourself even by being thrown in front of the lions by lions wow <laughs> that's a way to grow confidence i get it i get it i'm glad i'm glad you got it that's great yeah. keep remembering yeah. this practice it well yeah. yeah okay guys well thanks so much this has been a really great talk thank you guys thank you Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.